Please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. I'll be reading just two verses as we look at the armor of God. Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Please be seated. Children, kindergarten through second grade, you are dismissed for children's church. When I was in college, I went to the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and I was a a huge fan of our basketball team. There was an article that was written about me and a group of my friends uh, in the local newspaper. We were called the Mox Maniacs. We just went absolutely nuts at the basketball games. And every game, we would pick a different theme, and we would wear a different uniform or a different costume just to rally up the crowd and and to distract the opposing team. We were the Mox Maniacs. There was one day where I even painted my chest. Uh, We were just going absolutely nuts. Well, if you've ever been to a, a college basketball game or a professional game, you'll notice at the games that behind one of the basketball goals is the opposing team's goal. Uh, there would be a a large group of a fan base for the home team that would do anything and everything to try to distract that player uh, from shooting that free throw. They would try to make that that player miss, uh, and and they would do anything. They would blow up pictures of of funny, famous celebrities. Uh, They would wear bright color shirts. Uh, They would have noisemakers. They would even have uh, different things just just to distract the player who was shooting the free throw. Well, any seasoned player who was a good player uh, would know that I need, to be able to dist- I need to be able to cast out all these distractions, stay focused so I can make this shot. And the seasoned player would be able to uh, make a swish uh, without worrying about all that was thrown at him and all that was distracting him. As we look at this text in Ephesians 6, it reminds me of how Satan will shoot any kind of distraction our way to keep us from our goal. He's going to try to shoot arrows so that we will miss our mark. And these are all kinds of arrows that come our way. These are the fiery darts that Paul wrote about in Ephesians 6. And there are many kinds of darts that Satan shoots at us. And it comes in all forms and fashions. And they can come... Out of nowhere. Fortunately for us as Christians, when Satan shoots the darts at us, we have been given the armor of God. And the armor of God is our armor that we wear to defend ourselves from these assaults of Satan. These fiery darts, these flaming arrows that are shot at us every single day. A few weeks ago, we talked about the belt of truth and how the belt of truth is part of our armor that arms us with truth so that when Satan, the father of lies, casts out lies to us, we'll be able to discern truth from error. God also gives us the breastplate of righteousness, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is placed on us, and our sin is placed on him. And because his righteousness is placed on us, we're able to do right things. We're able to do things right, the right way for God. God also gives us as believers the shoes of peace, the shoes of peace that we wear with confidence, knowing we can, 
tread through any kind of waters without being hurt. We have safety wearing these shoes of peace, the peace of Christ. We also are able to travel through any kind of terrain and we're able to quickly maneuver whenever those arrows are shot at us. Today, I want to look at the two other pieces of defense that God gives us for our armor, and that is the shield of faith and also the helmet of salvation. The shield of faith, as you, as you look back in ancient history and you study the Roman soldiers, they would have this massive shield that they would carry around in battle. This shield composed of two feet wide, and it was four feet high. It made up of, of two layers of laminated wood. It was covered first in animal hide and then linen, and it was bound from top to bottom with iron. This shield, the Greek word, is also door because it was up to 20 pounds of weight that a soldier would carry around. And this door would protect them from any kind of javelin or any kind of fiery dart that was shot their way. They would be able to cover their entire body with this shield. The other thing to, to consider about the shields is that the Roman soldiers would cover it with water. And they would douse that animal hide with water so that when the enemy would put their arrows in oil and light it up and make it a flame and shoot it at them, the Roman soldier would be confident by putting up his shield. And when the arrow hit the shield, the water would douse and extinguish the flame. Another important thing about the shield is that scholars said that there were hooks on the sides of the shield so that a group or a squadron of soldiers would be able to march together and they would be able to hook on their shield to the next soldier so that when that arrow or javelin would come their way, they could protect the man next to them, to the front and to the back and to the side. This shield really protected the Roman soldier, their entire body, from whatever was thrown their way. In the same way, God has given us the shield of faith to protect us from all those fiery darts that Satan throws our way. And they really come out of left field. They come out of nowhere, anytime, anywhere. So God has armored us with his shield of faith. And as you think about faith, faith is something that we trust something that we hope for that we don't quite see. We don't see Jesus in the flesh right here, but we trust that he's with us, his spirit is with us. We trust that he has given us security in heaven, and we have hope and faith in that promise from God's word. This is what faith is. So whenever Satan shoots those arrows, God tells us, put up that shield of faith. So that you can withstand whatever Satan throws your way. Whatever distractions come your way. There are multiple kinds of arrows that Satan shoots at us. I'm just going to focus on four this morning. The arrow of defiance. The arrow of distortion. The arrow of disruption. And the arrow of doubt that Satan shoots at us. First, the arrow of defiance. Satan will shoot arrows at us so that we would defy God. We would resist his will. We would disobey his commandments. And he does things subtly. And he does things to tempt us so that we would disobey God. Uh, you, you oftentimes think about Satan being on your left shoulder and an angel being on your right. Well, Satan being on your left shoulder, what does he do? But he, he tempts you to defy God. 
to disobey God. Let's go back all the way to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And what did Satan as the serpent do? He was crafty, and he went up to Eve, and he said, Eve, even though God told you not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's tactic here to Eve was to persuade her to defy God's orders. He said, even though God told you not to eat from this tree, what he really meant to say was, if you eat from it, you'll be like him and you'll gain wisdom and insight. And after all, that that fruit looks really delicious, doesn't it? Satan was trying to appeal to Eve's desires, her appetite. Now think about what Satan did in the wilderness with Jesus when he first tempted Jesus. Matthew 4, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones uh, to become loaves of bread. What was Satan doing here? He was trying to get Jesus to defy God. By instead of fasting and spending time with the Father and worshiping Him, Satan's saying, you know what? I'm appealing to your cravings, your appetite, your desires, and I know what you can do, so why don't you just turn these stones into bread and you'll be satisfied. You'll be filled up. You don't need to fast anymore. You're hungry. Go ahead. Fulfill those desires. Defy what God wants you to do. You know this arrow of defiance is really arrow arrows of instant gratification. Satan, being on our left shoulder, essentially is saying, you know you want it. You know you need it. Go ahead. Don't worry about the consequences. You'll be filled right here, right now. Think about it in our terms today, what Satan does. Are you in pain? Well, if you're in pain... Instead of eating well and instead of going through physical therapy, just take those pills. It's not going to harm you. Better yet, why don't you just drink that alcohol? That'll make the pain go away. Just do it. It'll be fine. Are you lonely? Well, instead of working on the, the relationships that you already have that God has given you, it takes a lot of work. So why not just go to that chat room? And talk to somebody that will be friendly to you. Why not just look at that site that you shouldn't look at? Because that'll fulfill your your fantasy. That'll make you okay. Are Are you tired? Well, instead of having that important conversation with your spouse, just go to bed. You're tired. That conversation can happen later. Better yet, instead of going to church, just sleep in. You've worked really hard these six days. You just deserve a break. Just sleep in. You don't need to go to church. You're tired. Are you unhappy? Well, just go get that divorce. Your spouse will understand. They're not worth it. Your happiness is better than them. Just go do it. And better yet, you know what? Go spend that money on credit. You've earned that house that you've wanted. You've earned that car. Just do it. You'll be happier if you do these things, and the rest will take care of itself. Are you hungry? Well, instead of cooking that that meal that you already bought that's in your refrigerator, you just have to do a little work. Instead of doing that, just go to the fast food chain. Just eat it. You'll feel full. 
It'll be good. This is what Satan does. He tries to tempt us through instant gratification. And so often, God wants to delay our gratification. But yet, Satan says, you don't need to delay anymore. Fulfill those desires right now. Satan tries to make us rely on cheap substitutes. And the more we rely on those cheap substitutes, the further we will drift from God. If you've ever been to Yellowstone National Park, there are signs everywhere that says, warning, do not feed the bears. Why are those signs everywhere? Well, there's really two reasons. One, you don't need to get close to a bear because you don't know what it's capable of doing to you. But the main reason why these signs are everywhere at Yellowstone is because if a tourist would feed a bear, a bear would become reliant on that food. And the bear will quickly forget its natural instincts on how to take care of itself because it becomes ultimately reliant on that food, the people food. So every year, park rangers will go around the park and they'll find dead bears laying all around because these bears learn to rely on handouts from tourists. And when the tourists stop handing out food, the bear doesn't know what to do. And the bear ends up starving to death. In the same way, Satan is trying to make us rely not on God, but to rely on him. And he's in the business of killing us, of stealing our affections, and of destroying us. And as he tries to do these things, he does it through instant gratification. He keeps handing out things that are cheap substitutes to what God gives us. And the more reliant we are on those things that Satan gives us, the more jeopardy we're in with God. And then all of a sudden, the moment Satan stops giving us those handouts, then we're really in trouble. These are all Satan's tactics on getting us to defy God, to resist his will. So what do we do when this arrow is shot at us, the arrow of defiance? We take up our shield of faith and we say, no, Satan. I don't need these cheap substitutes because I know that feeling won't last. But what I know to be true is the truth of God's word. And I'm going to remain faithful to that word, even though I may have to delay gratification. In the end, I will be ultimately, eternally satisfied because Jesus is all I need. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was praying to the Father, and he came back to see his disciples, and what were they doing? But they were sleeping. What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Satan goes right to our flesh. He goes right at it. We got to remember the spirit is willing, and we got to be watchful and prayerful and take up that shield of faith clinging tightly to Jesus, saying, I need thee every hour. The first arrow is the arrow of defiance. The second one is the arrow of distortion. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Satan loves to confuse us. Remember that famous question he asked Eve? Did God really say 
did God really say? Satan loves to distort the truth. He loves to just confuse us. And look again at Genesis 3. He said to the woman, did God really say you shall not any, uh, eat of any tree in the garden? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did God really say that? Did he really mean what he said? I don't think he did. Because if you just eat from this tree, you'll, you'll, you'll gain wisdom and insight. You'll even be like God. No wonder he didn't want you to eat it, because he doesn't want you to be like him. So I don't really think God meant what he said here. Think about our culture today and how often Satan asks this question, did God really say? Did God really say that marriage is to be designed just between a man and a woman? I don't think God meant that. Did God really say that life should begin in conception, at conception in the womb? <laughs> I don't think God really meant that. He didn't really say that. Did God really say that lust is a sin? Ah, everybody, everybody struggles with lust. Everybody does it, so just go lust. Did God really say that he hates divorce and, and the only rationale or reason for divorce is marital infidelity? Ah, he didn't say that. You can get divorced for $99. Did God really say you can't marry an unbeliever? You know what? That guy, he's, he's the exception to the rule. He's really great. You never know if he'll come around. God really didn't mean what he said. This is what Satan does all the time. And he tries to confuse us to where all of a sudden we begin believing, accepting, affirming, endorsing things we never thought we would have ever believed before. But these are all Satan's tactics, the arrow of distortion. Let's go back to the wilderness when Satan tempted Jesus the second time. It said the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You know, it's fascinating about this. The first time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus responded by quoting scripture. Satan got wind of that, and he said, you know what? I'm going to change my tactics, and I'm going to quote Scripture too. So the second time Satan tempted Jesus, he quotes from Psalm chapter 91. But notice when you read Psalm 91 that Satan completely distorts the truth. He completely changes up the wording in the sense that he doesn't use it in its proper context. When you look at Psalm 91, Psalm 91 is talking about a believer who is trusting in God as he's fighting battles and as he's going through plagues. Psalm 91, by the way, is a great chapter for all of us to read as we're dealing with COVID-19, this coronavirus. The context is for a believer to trust in God and trust that God has all the resources we need to continue on in faith. He even has angels that will protect us and watch over us and guard us as we go through hardship. You know what Satan does here when he tempt, tempted Jesus the second time? He said, God didn't really mean that we trust him, but instead what God meant in Psalm 91 is that we test him. So instead of trusting God, you need to test, test God. That, that if you just jump off this, this temple... 
the angels will, will be there and will protect you. So just test them. Don't trust them. Test them. What does Satan do here? He completely took Psalm 91 out of context. And he tried to confuse the Son of God, Jesus himself, by misquoting Scripture. What did Jesus do? Jesus responded, Satan, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan knew, or Jesus knew what Satan was doing. He knew that Satan was trying to confuse him and trying to distort the truth. And Jesus said, nope, you can't put me to the test, brother. Do you wonder why the church is struggling today? Do you wonder why we're living in such confusing times? It's because Satan is known as the great deceiver. He is the father of lies, and he loves to confuse us. He loves to distort the truth. So as Christians, what does God call us to do? Take up that shield of faith. And I love Proverbs 30, verse 5. It says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. As Satan shoots that arrow at us, the arrow of confusion, what do we do? We take up that shield and we say, Lord, I know what is true. Every word in your word is true, and it proves true. It isn't just true. It proves to be true. And you are a shield to me who takes refuge in you. So take up that shield as Satan throws that arrow at us of disruption or confusion. The third arrow that, that Satan shoots our way is the arrow of disruption. He tries to disrupt our relationships with God and with one another. He finds no greater joy than when our relationships are chaotic and when there's division amongst us. Let's go back to the, the garden. What happened after Adam and Eve sinned? Their relationship with God was broken. It was severed. And what did God do? But he banished them from the garden. When God banished them from the garden, I guarantee Satan was saying, ha, 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 when I got them away from God, that's the goal. I want to disrupt their fellowship with him. Fast forward to the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 8. We read, again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Right here, Satan was trying to disrupt Jesus, the Son of God, and the Father. And he's saying, Jesus, just look all around. I can give you the world. I can give you everything. Just follow me. Don't continue down your path. Go my way. You'll be content. You'll be happy. You'll have a lot of control over your life. Just follow me. As Satan tries to disrupt our fellowship with God and with one another, he, he really uses two tactics. One is the world around us. And in the world, he, he tries to say, look at what the world has to offer. If you just do what non-believers do and live the way they live, you'll be content. You'll be happy. You'll be in control of your life. You'll have freedom. Satan not, just, not only uses the world to disrupt our fellowship with God, but he also tries to take things from us so that we would curse God. Think about Job. 
Remember all the things that Satan took away from Job? He took away his cattle, his sheep, his workers, his family, his possessions. He even put boils on his body. He did all those things so that Job would curse God and it would sever his relationship with God. But Job, as a righteous man, remained faithful. In the same way, look at what Jesus did when he was tempted the third time. He looked at Satan and he said, Be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I don't want to worship you. I don't care about what the world has to offer, all the glitz and glamour of this world. It's all fleeting. It's all temporary. What I know is that God the Father and heaven is eternal. And as believers in Christ, we are called to worship him and him alone. No other gods before him. But yet Satan tries to disrupt us. So what do we do when Satan tries to disrupt our relationship with God and our relationship with each other? We take up that shield. We rely solely on Jesus saying, I need you every hour. And we encourage one another when the going gets tough. We're living in confusing and hard times right now. And boy, do we need one another. And every one of us will go through hard times where we will have our faith faltered. It will falter at times. It will wane. And all of a sudden, we'll begin to question our faith. These are the times when we need each other. And we need each other to say, no. God is true. His word is true. Jesus is sufficient. He's all you need. We need to lock our shields together so that when one of us is having a hard time, the other shield will protect us. Please, church family, rally around each other, especially in times like these, because there will be times when our faith will falter. And that's where we need each other to take up the shield so that we can protect the body of Christ. William Gouge, he was part of the Westminster Assembly years ago, and he said, when I look upon myself, I see nothing but emptiness and weakness, but when I look upon Christ, I see nothing but fullness and sufficiency. We need Jesus. And when we look upon him, we see nothing but fullness and sufficiency. The fourth arrow that Satan shoots our way is the arrow of doubt. And I guarantee all of us have either gone through a period of doubt or we will. We will doubt if Jesus really loves us. We will doubt if we really are indeed forgiven. We will doubt if we really really will be in heaven one day. Doubt will flow in our minds and it will penetrate to our hearts and all of a sudden we'll say, are we even believers? This is the work of Satan. Satan wants us to doubt our love for Jesus. He wants us to doubt his love for us. He wants us to doubt our salvation. So what do we do when Satan shoots the arrow of doubt at us? We put on the helmet of salvation. When you study first century Roman soldiers, you'll realize that the Roman soldier's helmet was made of bronze. It was fitted over an iron skull cap lined with leather or cloth. They had a band to protect the forehead and plates to protect the nose and the cheeks. It extended down their back to protect their neck. 
And when the helmet was strapped in place, it exposed little besides the eyes, the nose, and the mouth. And the only weapon that could get through this kind of helmet was a hammer or an axe. That would be painful. So what did Paul tell us here? Take up the helmet of salvation when Satan casts and shoots the arrows of doubt at you. If you think of it this way, Satan loves to attack our minds first. And I like what J. Oswald Sanders said, The mind of man is the battleground on which every moral and spiritual battle is fought. The mind of men and women is the battleground on which every moral and spiritual battle is fought. It starts here at our minds, in our minds. So as Paul instructed us here, he told us, put on that helmet so that the lies of Satan will not get here, but instead it will deflect and you'll keep going your way in faithfulness as a believer. The helmet of salvation, what is it? I like 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It describes it as the helmet of hope. But since we long for the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. We hope. We hope for salvation. We got to remain optimistic, hopeful. Why? Because Jesus is with us. So no matter what is thrown our way, we can still be hopeful because he's with us. That's the helmet of salvation. It gives us confidence. Think about when you wear a helmet, whenever you're going rafting or rock climbing, or riding a bike, or motorcycle, or playing football. Whenever you put on those helmets, you feel a sense of confidence. You're ready to take on the task at hand. You feel safe and secure. In the same way, God gives us this helmet of salvation so that we will rest in him, and we will be at peace, knowing our souls are at eternal peace. We have security in heaven that God has promised us. And I absolutely love Isaiah 26.3 because it says, You keep God in perfect peace, or, or God keeps us in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him because we trust in God. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. As long as we trust in the Lord... God will keep our minds at peace, at peace as we stay on him, keep our focus on him. So when the doubts come, we're able to say, oh, nope, I know what's true. I know what's true. A lot of you have heard about Jim Elliott, Jim and Elizabeth Elliott. They were missionaries in Ecuador and before Jim Elliott was killed by the people in Ecuador, and then he was later eaten by them, they were cannibals, he and four other missionaries, they sang this song, We Rest on Thee. Right before their death, they sang, We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in your strength, safe in your keeping tender, we rest on thee, and in your strength we go. We go in faith, our own great weakness feeling, and needing more each day your grace to know. As Satan shoots his arrows at us, and they come from left field out of nowhere, they can come anytime, anywhere, God tells us, take up that shield of faith, take up that helmet of salvation, rest in God alone, 
because he is our shield and our defender. And we can continue to march ahead knowing he's with us and he's given us his armor to defend ourselves from the evil one.